0: Okay, it's week seven of Sports Sushi Singles with uh, one guest, one topic each week. Uh, This week we've got Tim Graham with us from The Athletic, formerly The the Buffalo News, uh, longtime sports journalist, uh, fellow truth teller. And tonight we're going to be talking about every every kid grows up wanting to make it to the pros. But what exactly does that mean and and how much sacrifice does it take to get there? Uh, So the topic for tonight is what does it take to make it? Um, so just the general introductions here, Tim, thank you for joining the show. Uh, we'll, we'll start out with just kind of a, 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 a softball question. Um, in, your, in your history as a sports writer and, and all the athletes and the people you've come in contact with, um, who who stood out above and beyond that just had something extra driving them to make it as far as they did?
1: I have two uh, that come to mind and one Bill's fans know, and we can talk about it uh, or we can skip it because we know the story backwards and front is Fred Jackson. You know, probably the ultimate overachiever, a guy who was not even the starter on his high school team. Um, You know, I've actually uh, wanted to do the story of the guy who was the starter. Uh, On his uh, high school team, and I tracked him down at one point back when I was working for the Buffalo News. Fred was still playing; I think it was Fred's last year with the Bills. Uh, And of course, once Fred stopped playing, the story just kind of lost a little bit of its zip. But uh, the guy was—they're still friends. Uh, He his life turned out okay, but I think at the time he was working in a warehouse. I think it was a Walmart warehouse, and. Again, living a fine life, making a good wage, had a family. And, but still, uh, the, the way he was set up in his life as a, as a star high school running back in Texas, how, how far ahead of the game he was than Fred Jackson, who by this time had been in the NFL for, I don't know, seven, eight years, had a 1,000-yard had a rushing season, multiple-time captain of the Bills, beloved fan favorite. Maybe we can talk. Uh, there's a debate. Does he belong on the Wall of Fame? But still, one of the shining lights during the Bills' drought time. Um, So, so that's the first one that comes to mind. But I want to skip it, right? I mean, we could talk about it, but uh, everybody knows it.
0: Yeah. The the question I'd have right off the get-go is, from chasing down the story of the starter, where where did their stories diverge? Like, because at
1: some point he caught up and he asked them. Well, yeah. The funny thing is, too, is I think that. Now, this is where the journalist in me is hesitant to say because I might get it wrong from memory because it's been so many years. It's not that it's, you know, I don't I don't want anybody to hear what I say and have it be stated as fact. So I think roughly this is what it was. I think he had some scholarship offers. There might have been an injury involved or he went somewhere, ended up getting mixed up on the depth chart, didn't work out. Hmm. And that's just like the gist. That's, That's how I remember it. Meanwhile, Fred Jackson goes to Co Division Three Co College, and it's a series of fortuitous breaks. Of course, he has a great career at Co Division Three school. I think that um, you go to, you know, any high school stadium on a Friday night under the lights and peer through the chain-link fence, and you're going to see 15, 20 kids who can play at Division Three. Um you probably are going to see a bunch of kids who have no idea that they could make it uh, at division one and they'll never try. And that's the next guy I want to get into uh, when we get there. But with Fred, I mean, it was, it was breaks. Uh, He went to co-college, which he had no idea at the time that a a meeting with Marv Levy, who would eventually return to the bills as their general manager would (laughs) lead to a tryout in which he did good enough uh, to you know, at least be kept around, whether it be practice squad or sent to NFL Europe. Somebody saw something in him. But if he went to Division Three, I'll use my school Baldwin Wallace, we probably never hear from Fred Jackson because that's not where Marv Levy went to college. It was just kind of a serendipitous <laughs> thing yeah. that he ends up with the Bills and able to make a, a name for himself. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of Fred Jackson where it's lightning in a bottle type things. He never stopped. Uh, it, of course, it wasn't just gifted to him. He had to do it. Uh, the Marv Levy break was a nice one, but he went and gutted it out in the, it wasn't even arena football league. It was the finger quotes arena football uh, minor leagues uh, in which he was getting paid with food coupons. Um, he was living in a, in a motel with a bunch of other guys on that team. And getting paid food coupons to play football, and you know, so he he stuck at it. he believed in himself. There's a lot of that type of thing. It's it's a it's a belief, mm. and there's a thin line between never giving up on your dream and also be living in reality, right? Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of guys uh, we've we've seen who are maybe delusional uh, about it, but uh, when you do have the ability and the means. And hopefully at some point you get the opportunity. uh, There is a chance to to prove that the the guy who couldn't even crack the starting lineup on his high school's team could have a long NFL career and become uh, one of the most popular players in a a franchise's history. Do you guys think
0: work ethic or talent? Obviously it takes both. So let let me kind of preface this question. When I was growing up, I, I, I played a lot of organized sports, um, didn't do as well as I probably should have on the football field because I was doing better in in disorganized sports, backyard sports all all over town. And I had talent, but nobody ever really taught me what work ethic meant to go with that talent. So as long mm-hmm. as I could kind of dominate the people I was playing with without trying hard, there was never any need for a work ethic behind it. It was just all living off of the talent. And then I finally reached a point where talent wasn't good enough. You're surrounded by people that are talented and they're also, they also work hard, and you, you get out-hustled there. So you really need both to make it. But which one do you think overcompensates for the other the most?
2: I think history has proven that talent wins, and that's not always the best thing. I mean, you you look at the NBA, for for an example. You see a lot of talented athletes, right? But you don't see a lot of basketball players. That when i I mean by a basketball player is like, you know, someone who who really dives deep into the fundamentals, knows how to create shots or, or whatever their niche is at the next level. But you see a lot of talented guys, guys who can jump out the gym or have these elite athletic traits. You know, so I, I think unfortunately, um, I think talent gets you in the door, but I think your discipline and your character takes you to further heights.
1: Yeah, I think there are different, a couple of different avenues that you can go. Uh, and and it's in the news right now in baseball. Anthony Rendon uh, gave an interview a couple of days ago uh, in which he said he doesn't love baseball. That's not his passion. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, here's a guy who's made a gazillion dollars and is one of the greats and who knows, maybe a Hall of Famer um, and doesn't love it. And there are some people who are scratching their heads at it, and I think that's Uh, And I've written about it in the past and and a lot of people have, it's not like I'm breaking any new ground, but we're reminded of it. I think cyclically, you know, every generation has an Anthony Rendon where you learn that just because we have this passion for watching it and we'd give our left arm to do it and we would, or we would do it for free. We've heard all the things that people say about sports, um, just be, that doesn't mean that they all love it too. They happen to be blessed. They happen to be good at it. They were put on a trajectory very young in their age uh, or very young in their life, uh, surrounded by the best of the best of their community. You know, let's just keep using Anthony Rendon as, well, I don't know his background. uh, So let me skip that. Let's just say there's a player like Anthony Rendon and he's going to be on, probably from the age of seven or eight, he's going to be on the best travel baseball team in his community working with the other best players in his community with the best coaches and the most passionate and caring coaches now a lot of times it's fathers but these are people who are really into it and it propels you you get the immediate um uh backing you get the assurance uh constant positive feedback you know yeah. the adulation mm-hmm. the fun yeah. you're good at it and some look people i think confuse being good at something and getting attention for being good at something with that's my passion And then they get older and realize, you know what? I I I'm actually more interested in other things. Uh, I just happened to get I got a lot of attention, and it propelled me. And hell, I'm not going to turn down that scholarship to the Power Five school. I'm not going to turn down all this, you know, working out in this facility and playing on national television. I'm not going to turn down being drafted. I mean, at some point, you're not you're not picking your career. Your career is being chosen for you for obvious reasons, right? Because we throw money and praise and love and women and uh, you know, you get to, uh, people look the other way, uh, when you maybe walk in a restaurant or when you turn in your quiz, uh, to that teacher or that professor, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. all kinds of benefits that go along with this that are intoxicating and draw you in naturally. And then at some point, I think some guys come to the realization and be like, I'm doing this because I'm good at it. Not because I necessarily love it. And there are people, uh, in every NFL locker room, uh, including the Buffalo Bills, now, you want to hopefully filter some of those guys out, uh, but sometimes those guys are still great players. Just because they don't have a passion for it doesn't mean they're not going to help you win a championship. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm rambling a little bit here. but I, I So I think my other point is the talent obviously is a great propulsion. But I find, or at least I think that a lot of great talent gets wasted by not having that support staff around you from a young age to tell you, right from wrong uh, to protect you. Now, sometimes we sit, we talk about the word coddled. Uh, We hear it. I think increasingly more with hockey players because they, of course, and they get drafted at a much younger age than other sports baseball. Yes. You can get drafted out of high school, but still a significant chunk of those players are go to college anyway and get drafted two, three, four times. Whereas in hockey, you're drafted the once and teams bet on you and they invest a lot in you. Uh, and the hierarchies or the structures of leadership aren't in place like they used to be. Uh, So the young youth rules in hockey more than in other other places. Um, But there's a lot of talent out there that just isn't told the right way to do it. And maybe it's not anybody's failing because maybe that I'll talk about, you know, I I hate to Bring up a guy. It's a tragic story from my high school. I went to a very small high school in Northeast Ohio, and we had a, a guy on our team. Uh, we were a good team. Uh, we were uh, when we were sophomores, uh, we were a playoff team in Ohio, which was tough to do because there was only four per region, and it was a computer point system, and it wasn't based on you had to you had to be good, and you had to be border either undefeated or borderline to even make it. We had a we had a great season that year, and he was our best player, and he was a sophomore, and he was getting attention from every power five school. Um, it, he was six, four, maybe six, five as a sophomore. So he had a chance to get bigger, 220 pound tight end, had hands like pillows, probably ran a four, six, 40, um, and was just a beast, played both ways. He was a defensive lineman. And by his senior year, uh, he was suspended. He got caught showing up to school drunk one day, um, didn't care about his grades. He, he cared more about, about not wanting to view or be a sellout to his buddies. Hmm. Uh, he wanted to keep partying. He wanted his buddies. And he wanted to go out. And, you know, the girls all loved him. And the guys yep. all wanted to be around him. And he didn't have to worry about it. And he ended up never playing a down of college football. I don't even know that he even took his SAT. And it was hmm. we knew by the time he was a senior that he wasn't going anywhere. Wow. And that was kind of our town. And there are a lot of towns like that all over the Man. place where if you don't, you can have this, the, the talent just gets wasted because you don't have the guidance. You don't have that guy or woman in your life, teacher, counselor to sit you down and say, look, you have something special here. And if you gave a shit, uh, you could have, and your family can do some nice things. But then that circles back to maybe he didn't want to do it. You know, maybe he, yeah. maybe he just, maybe he just wanted to smoke weed and and drink forties, but um, but he I'm was ag. A... <laughs> I, I, I think you're. I think you're hitting the nail. <laughs> yeah, on... yeah. I, I
0: think you're hitting the nail on the head, though. With with a mentor at the right time in the right place, that can change the difference between what he was you probably on MD twenty
1: twenty. Actually, he was a big see now. Look, my town. You, you went for the cheapest. <laughs> that mad kid. dog, it, huh? <laughs> it was bush bush light and uh, yeah. MD twenty twenty. Whatever got yeah. you there fastest, cheapest, and let's not say that I wasn't there with him. Um, oh, you were in the streets, huh, Tim? The street. But look, if you saw my town, it was the roads. Uh, it wasn't the streets. We were out there on the roads, the back roads. Uh, yeah, no, 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 not the yeah, the streets. But yeah, this, yeah, about as about as hard scrabble as you could get in a in a town of twenty five hundred.
0: So you, you mentioned there was a second person other than uh, Fred Jackson that, that had come to mind on uh, their kind of story and, and how they got to where, where they ultimately made it at the levels. You, you want to talk about that one?
1: Yeah, so this is uh, Greg Camarillo, and that's a name that might ring a bell. Miami Dolphins wide receiver, uh, 2004, maybe he was undrafted. He's the guy who caught the touchdown to save the Dolphins from their 0-16 season. In overtime against the Baltimore Ravens, um, he came out of a school in California. He played both sides of the ball. He was, in, but he did, again a, a small school like mine. A hundred, he was an 180-pound defensive end. Uh, he was also the kicker, the punter. Uh, he did a little everything. Zero scholarship offers. Um, he had interest from Ivy League schools because he was really smart. Uh, he, he, Harvard wanted him. Uh, because he was a good student who could play football I mean not because he was a football player but he had a dream he wanted to play in the Rose Bowl that was the dream he had growing up and so he wanted to play in the pack 10 or 12 I don't know what it was at the time and hell I don't even know what it is it doesn't exist anymore right what is it I don't even I I, I think I take it as pride I've refused to follow a conference alignment whatever that is now And so he hey they had a neighbor, who was a trainer or something and knew Stanford coach Tyrone Willingham. And so through this guy, he begged to be led on the team as a walk-on punter. Punter. What do you, what do you get with that? Well, not a lot. And so he got in on the team. He gets a uniform. He's at practice. So he starts hectoring the, the coaching staff to let him do stuff in practice. Hey, I'm just over here punting the ball. I'm never going to get in the game as a punter. You got two on scholarship or whatever they had, you know, let me do something. Let me run some wide receiver drills, or let me put me on the scout team. Well, eventually that's what happens with him. He gets on the scout team. Uh, He ends up getting into a game here or there. He's playing some special teams Um, and he graduates though uh, with zero college touchdowns. No touchdowns. He caught 18 passes. I'm looking at it here. I'm not remembering. It was the Pac-10 at the time. It, his senior year, 18 catches, 280 yards. Wow. No touchdowns. That's it. That's his senior year. And somehow, I think through I don't uh, happenstance or whatever. I don't I don't recall exactly how this happened. He got a tryout with the uh, San Diego Chargers. Uh, and went to their camp or something or a rookie mini camp or something. And so they saw something in them that they liked practice squad. They kept them around, uh, bounced around, never got into a game for the chargers that, uh, that I recall. Cam Cameron, who was the coordinator for the chargers gets the job with the Miami dolphins and mm-hmm. the dolphins are awful. This is the first year after uh, Nick Saban has left yeah. and they are total rebuild. And so the, the dolphins need bodies. Um, oh, I see here. He did play four games on special teams for the Chargers in 2000 and 2006. So he goes to the Dolphins, and in 2007, he is targeted 10 times all season, but he has two touchdowns, including the one that saves their season. The next season, in 2008, he has 55 catches, and he's leading them. Uh, he's leading the team in receptions, and he's on his way to a 1,000-yard season. And he had a knee injury. So here's a guy who eventually – uh, though is uh, he plays for the Vikings, uh, he plays for the Saints. This guy ends up catching touchdown passes from Drew Brees and uh, Brett Favre in his career. He plays uh, seven NFL seasons. That's not counting whatever he earned uh, on the practice squad, and all because he talked his way onto a team as a backup walk-on punter, and. Um, that's a guy who just refused to take no for an answer.
2: Yeah. And wow.
1: he was by the way, I have it here. When he 6'1, 190, 4640. He had, and I do recall talking to him about this because we were made fun of. Uh, we were in the Dolphins locker room. I had heard that he had a size small hand, meaning he was he was one of only two guys on the roster who had small gloves, the equipment guys that the size small. <laughs> one of them was one of them was Ricky Williams, and the other was Greg Camarillo. And I remember saying, can I see it? And we were standing at his locker and he put his hand up against mine. And I can't remember who it was, but one of the Dolphins players goes, oh, you know, we were having our moment there. But <laughs> that was just my way of saying like this guy, he had you see this guy on, on JV fields, probably yeah. uh, the, the the makeup in terms of the physical part of it. But there was something in him that was wired totally different.
0: Like you, you want to, you want to say it's luck, but at the same time, there is something that's just different. Like it's luck, but it's luck that they went and manufactured and found. And if they didn't find it there, they would have found it,
1: found it somewhere else. And yeah, that's true because, and I don't, that's again, I don't want to shortchange Fred. I don't, but Fred's was a, was a massive break. Just so happened that the guy who is told him that someday he'll try to get him a, a tryout becomes an NFL general manager. You know, who'd never been a general manager in his life. I'm talking about Marv Levy. So yeah, yeah. that's a stroke mm-hmm. of luck. Um, but yeah, I think that Greg Camarillo would have found a way. Now, he graduates from Stanford with an engineering degree.
2: That's impressive. Um,
1: <laughs> and he's and he gets eight or nine years of the NFL out of it. Um, but yeah, I think probably Greg Camarillo might have made found a way to make it work. Some way. Had he gone to Harvard, you know, guys from Harvard make it to the NFL. You know, Bills fans, you know, get choked you know, with Brian Fitzpatrick references, but yeah, guys come out of the Ivy leagues and play, play in the NFL. Well, um, Trent Edwards too. With Stanford, yeah. right? Yeah. Stanford. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I was talking about f- f- with Brian Fitzpatrick with Harvard, you know? Oh but,
0: yeah. Yeah. But, but the, um, the other guy from Stanford.
1: Right. Also in a, in a shoe in uh wall of famer right alongside Fred. I mean, so, That's so, a joke.
0: <laughs> I, so, to, real, real quick side story on on Trent Edwards, um, Sterling. You might have heard this story before, but uh, the Bills were, I think, five and one when they played in Arizona. And, oh yeah, and they were they were going there. Uh, we were partying with our buddies. One of our buddies ended up it was Ernie 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 Green at the time lived in in Arizona, so I came in from LA, and we went. We were we were a whole bunch of us going to the the, the Bills Cardinals game. I think it was one of the first games in their new stadium. And we're all out there partying, and one of our buddies uh the night before broke his legs in three places running from the cops uh, after a after a bar <laughs> leaving the bar. Uh, so he's at the hospital there, and it's kind of a somber tailgate. But we're it we're, sounds we're, like the guy I went to high school with. Yeah, we're we're, we're making the best <laughs> his name of it. Jeff Smith. No, but the the Jeff in our group goes. He he goes. His name was Jeff. He Maybe it's the same guy. Maybe it changed his name out of. <laughs> He goes, he goes, it, mind you, for five and one right now, he goes, what if this is as good as it gets? What if this is the high point of the season and and, and everything from here is downhill? And no, no, there's no way. By the time this day ends, Trent Edwards is dead in the hospital bed next to our buddy who broke his leg because he got blasted with that hit. He's never the same. And I think they went on and and, and finished like six and 10 that season. <laughs>
1: 2007. That's the, or two, That was 2008, right? Yeah, he, he nailed the peak. 2008 I was that was my first year at ESPN and so I was covering the bills as part of my my I'm the I was the AFC East writer and I used to do a weekly chat and I recall saying in that chat that we might be looking at an MVP candidate here and Albert Breer now with Sports Illustrated also was saying something similar about at the same time I think he might have been at I'm not sure where he was at the time he might have been at the Dallas Morning News or I'm not sure where but we joke about that. We every, almost every time Burt and I see each other, we're like, remember when we were we were we were saying uh Trent Edwards might win the wow. MVP because the Bills were five and one and he was pretty wow. much the re- well, yeah. I don't want to say he was the yeah. reason for it, but that offense looked really good. He yep. looked the part, he really did look the part, and, he was, uh, was the and then uh, and then he got almost decapitated and turned into a totally different player. <laughs>
0: So do you guys think uh, moving forward with with technology, gaming, simulations, better training, mentorship, but more distractions, do you think it's it's going to be an easier path to make it to the pros or do you think it's going to be harder?
2: I think it's harder. Uh, You're talking about, you know, in my opinion, athletes now is like they are trained assassins, man. You got kids playing you know, sports at a super young age. Like my son, you know, my son plays ball for Chauncey Bill's Squad. And and the amount of time these kids are in a gym playing games, I mean, they're they're having specialized skills and talents before they even get to high school. Right. So I think it just raises the level of play for everyone. You know, it was back in our day, it was, you know, you were really encouraged to play multiple sports in high school. And you know, you're starting to see now where kids are playing one sport in high school because they're specialized at it because they've been doing it since a young age. And so I just think it, it just raises the level um, of play across the board. And I love to bring up the, the NBA as an example. I mean, you look in the 80s, I mean, you had your great talents, but when you look at you know the, those rosters, you look at guys from 6 to 12, right? That's the guys on the bench. You look at those guys versus what's on the NBA bench now. The guys on the NBA bench now are are – they are superiorly like they they have the skills and you're just like what in the hell where big men are shooting threes like guards i mean it's just crazy right right now so it's just it's just a it's just a weird ecosystem and you know for consumers like us we get to we get to watch it and and it's fun but man these kids are trained assassins at an early age
1: that's a great point and i think it was more of uh i don't want to say a meritocracy because the best is going to be is what's going to make it, and I think mm-hmm. that the, the 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 talent level is deeper. It's more refined at a younger age, but where I think the big difference, or where it's kind of takes a little of the romanticism out of kids playing sports or the, or having the dream that should mm-hmm. be, is that I'm I'm fifth. I'll be fifty three this year, so I know that I'm the old guy talking, but. <laughs> You could be, for instance, this Jeff Smith, my, the guy I went to uh, I went to high school with, we didn't start, he didn't start playing when he was eight. We all, we, in our town, you couldn't start playing football unless you went to a different town and played Pop Warner. You didn't play until seventh grade. That's when you finally Mm. started to get your pads and the coach from the school would teach you and you'd go play the other schools. So we all started at the same level But and and Jeff Smith was getting you know within I mean you think about it from between seventh to tenth grade tenth grades he was so in in his fourth year of organized football Notre Dame wanted him to come and play Um, wow and or was pretty much saying we got a spot for you Um, you could have that dream. I think if you don't play sports until you're seven, it's like a, it's gotta be a miracle or you you have to, you know, you got, those will be the Fred Jacksons of the future is the guy who didn't start playing. We do hear it. We, you know, Dalton, Dalton Kincaid about how he didn't take football seriously for a while. And, you know, but again, he's a freak athlete, right? But the the Greg Camarillo, the guy who dreams of someday making it or just having a you know, looking at his football cards and wondering (laughs) if I'm going to be on one someday. Um, if you don't have a base, a foundation by the time you're seven or eight, you might you might be lost already. You might be too far behind the curve uh, because, and again, this I'm not saying it literally, but you you are at a disadvantage because of the kids who have you know, the structure and they're on the travel teams and they've already been kind of selected. They've already been chosen. They're kids. And I, uh, there's a a friend of mine whose uh, son plays uh, hockey and she's constantly fighting uh, for, he's a goalie and constantly fighting for him to be, um, you know, advocated more to, but he's kind of, and I think you want to say he's nine and she's already up against coaches have already decided he's not one of the best. And so he is going to constantly get the second rate or third rate coaching. He's going to be playing with the other kids who uh, aren't um, the best. And so, you know, steel, sharp and steel type thing. So you miss out on that sometimes because of these leagues and the way that the system is set up now. And it brings to mind actually um, Josh Allen uh, in the famous story when – uh, he went to Fresno State's passing camp. He dreamed of playing for Fresno State. Yep. And he showed his high school coach and he went to this passing camp and they put Josh with the kids that were clearly, you know. Their car. Yeah, they're taking, ta- no, he was with the nons. He was with the, the kids whose parents were wasting their money. You know, <laughs> he was, you know, you're going to go and you're just going to throw, throw them bullets. Yeah, you're going to throw fly routes. All right, we're <laughs> just going to And these other kids are throwing hitches and doing all this refined stuff. And Josh's coach was like, hey, you know, I I, I want to, you know, this kid should be over here with the better players. And they're like, no, no, we have him set. You know, this is. Now he refused to take that. Uh, he refused to accept that, and that's one of the major reasons he swore off Fresno State. But that happens. You get labeled at a very young age either behind the curve, not good enough, um, and that dream I think gets snuffed out for a lot of kids because they want to be with the better kids, and they. They get this re- negative reinforcement of, well, shit, I don't, I don't want to keep going and playing. I don't want to spend the rest of my days here hoping that I can get some playing time on JV. Right? So they do something else, and so you you lose that, that uh, to borrow a to borrow a poker phrase, a chip in a chair. You know, I, I'm in this game. I'm still in this game, yeah. and I got a shot at it. But I think that there's constantly people telling you you're not good enough or systems or the 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 the, um, the the environment is just constantly reminding you and kids who are who, especially if they don't have somebody in their ear telling them to keep going for it keep trying keep trying uh, you know I have faith in you or go out there and just have fun you know all these all the positive reinforcement if you don't have that in your ear they'll just be shit I'm not doing this I'm not gonna waste my time with this
0: <laughs> I've got a I've got a specific Josh Allen follow-up question that I've kind of had like knowing his backstory and kind of knowing the process, and also being somebody like I'm—I'm I'm 46. I've seen like what I think is the peak of sports—the 80s, 90s, some of the greatest players, all of that. But throughout NFL history, as far as my lifetime, when it comes to quarterbacks, prototypical size has always been desired and overvalued and overdrafted and overselected. When when did it change? And obviously it's changed at the, at the college level somewhere in there, but when did it change that Josh Allen's freak size and arm strength alone wasn't like having division one schools falling all over themselves to mold and, and shape that raw talent?
1: That's a great, that's a great question. I, I, have I've, I've kind of written those stories, but I, without necessarily coming up with an answer, it's the inexact science of it. Uh, the guy who slips through the cracks, uh, which is, I think, uh, you know, what I was referring to when I saying these are the miracle stories. And yeah. it used to be the Josh Allen's were all over the NFL, right? I mean, the guy who was not in all the camps and the guy who wasn't doing all, you know, who wasn't all the who wasn't getting D one offers when he was a sophomore.
0: Well, usually uh, that guy's a little undersized, maybe not as big and strong, doesn't pop off the physical charts. Where Josh Allen's a complete opposite end of the spectrum. I, I don't understand. I, think, I, I don't answer. think
2: he I don't think he's as big of anomaly as 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 people who aren't Bills fans would, would like to like because there's always been big quarterbacks in NFL. Like I, I think the the more of the anomaly comes with like guys like Michael Vick, guys, Randall Cunningham, guys who had superior athletic traits, their speed, right? We've seen guys in the NFL with superior arm strength, Dan Marino, Brett Favre, John L. We've seen those kind of guys. Um I'm not saying Josh isn't a special athlete by any means, but I, I just think, you know, it's hard to like everybody thought Brock Osweiler was going to be pretty good, six foot seven, right? Like, guys, that's
1: what uh, Chris is getting to is that yeah. these guys used to be, okay, you're gonna, you know, you will get mm-hmm. the scholarship. Chad Kelly
0: one. washed out of what? Four Division one schools? And, yeah, I, and nobody, nobody right. thought they could do anything with,
1: with the Josh Allen. <laughs> Imagine Josh Allen in the 80s. You know, Josh Allen is probably fighting them off, right? Uh, yeah. But, I think it came, it comes down to pedigree and if yep. you, they haven't heard of you by a certain time, then there's a issue. There must be a, the reason we haven't heard of you. Um, and of course he did grow, uh, you know, that's one of the, the parts of his folklore is that he went off to college and his mom didn't recognize him when he came home from his first break, you know, from Reedley junior college, because he had grown so much. So he did have that aspect to it, but it is hard to imagine when you look at the talents that you see um, him play with. Hell, it's it's amazing to, that you couldn't see that years ago, but it's amazing that you couldn't see it coming out of Wyoming. Uh, right. So maybe he was just, I mean, I don't think it's as simple as just being a late bloomer, but yeah, a lot of people miss because I think there's an arrogance in evaluation and an arrogance in that system that I was yep. referring to lately is we know, you know, I, I, I'm a, um, you know, I sell pharmaceuticals on the week on, uh, you know, during the week, you know, that's my job. I, I I sell, uh, I work for Pfizer or I, I, I I work uh, down at the, uh, in the, um, at the Ford plant, but I also happen to be the most influential hockey coach in this area. And I've determined that your son is the fifth best goalie of his age in this area. And therefore he's got, he's going to have to fight for ice time. Uh, And I'm sorry that he's only nine uh, and that in seven years when high school, you know, or in a few years when he's trying to go to St. Francis or St. Joe's or trying to and and nobody wants to look at him because I determined at nine years old that he was the fifth best kid in the area. Um, (laughs) Tough. I'm sorry. But that's kind of the way it ends up working out.
2: Yeah.
0: So what about sacrifice have uh, either do either one of you guys have any first I know nothing about sacrifice so don't <laughs> ask me about that.
2: <laughs> is there
0: is there any prominent stories that that pop to mind of anything that you've encountered across your careers even individually on, on trying to make it within within the world of sports or uh, somebody that you've seen or admired on on their pursuits and, and has a story of sacrifice?
1: If you have one, go ahead, because I want to take, there is a guy that comes to mind, but I want to look up a couple of things about him. So I make sure I get it right.
2: Yeah, that's a good, I mean, you hear about these kind of stories um, quite a bit. I mean, there's been some great examples. I mean, and I, I can only bring up myself in this one just because, you know, I grew up in Tennessee um, in the inner city and uh, you know, you talk about crime being rampant and so forth and, um, I didn't have a lot of the opportunities that some of these other kids had. And, uh, you know, my my goal was to get to college, play basketball and get a degree so I can get up out of Tennessee. And uh, the options for me were to I can either pay my I paid my way through um, high school to go to a private school. So I wasn't hanging around some of the guys that I kind of grew up with. I knew I had to to really get myself out of a situation to put myself to sacrifice going to parties and doing all those things I had to work to pay for my scholarship and I just dedicated myself to basketball and you know my my schoolwork and I and I got to where I needed to go Um, but I mean there's countless uh, stories about guys who who sacrificed I mean Shannon Sharp is another one I mean you, you hear his story his story is remarkable you know how he was having to help take care of his aunt and grandma and and while you know trying to play football, right? Uh Jerry Rice is another one. I mean, the, you know, there's so many pioneers for for sacrifice, man, that that just like inspires like the masses.
1: Uh, I
2: did he buy enough time?
1: Yeah, it did. <laughs> and and I I just thought of a word that would help me search this long article for exactly the anecdote. <laughs> um Trent Murphy. Uh, the Bills uh, oh, defensive God. lineman. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic did a great feature on him in which he talked to some high school coaches and guys in college in which you were shaking your head at, like how this guy is wired. I don't know if this is sacrifice or insanity. Um <laughs> <but> Both usually. <laughs> he, he would go <laughs> – So he he uh, when he was training for a particular game, sometimes he would go to that team's field and work out so hard on it until he threw up. And the point being is that he wanted to make sure that he left everything out there on that field, that particular field. He took that saying to such a degree that he would say, I'm going to leave it all on this field again on Friday night, you know, high school game. That he would go and sneak into the place and work out so hard on that specific field until he threw up so that way that was his way of saying Now i don't know if that's sacrifice again uh that is something else uh but uh the will to do what it takes i mean at least that's that crazy was how he had it <laughs> in his mind that um that was his carrot you know it, it well, yeah. he threw up the carrot, but he that was what he did and you know so sacrifice I mean, there's a there's a ton of things that go into it. Um, you know, we're, we've been talking a lot about youth sports here too, and too. know, like you say, Sterling, the things that you would do to, to get out. Um, and that is the thing that with my hometown, I mean, that's what it was, is that you needed to have that ability to want to get out. There was yep. I mean, there was no reason to stay in my hometown except for your buddies. And you didn't want to be a sellout. I mean, that's something that you hear, uh, especially when I was covering boxing. You get a lot of that, the sellout, because you got money now and you forgot us. Or mm. the guy who doesn't want to leave his town. You know, he could live every, anywhere he wants, but he ends up going back to that same place over and over again and keeps getting in trouble because he's supporting, you know, you know, the entire block, you know, where he grew up, and everybody's got their hand out and he can't say no. And and uh, they want to, you know, celebrate with the guy and have a beer with him or do whatever else.
2: See Tim, you've been in the streets referring to it as the block.
1: <laughs> right. Um, so so yeah, there there is that. Um now I've I've kind of derailed myself from the point I was gonna make, but um with with youth sports, um, you know, the, the sacrifice sometimes has to be pushed upon you, which is which makes some kids not want to do it. You know, when your dad or your mom wants it more than you do, you know, that, that can, that's a big problem. But sometimes you you don't know to make the sacrifice. You're a kid. yeah. But if you don't make that sacrifice, going back to what I was saying before, because so many you're going to be behind the game. And so those kids who finally who become an adult or become to the conclusion themselves, I want this for me. Uh, sometimes it's too late because no. mom and dad next door or. You know, whoever the coaching staff at the school or whatever has already determined, you know, you're you're t- too late for you. Um, you know, you I'm going to start playing basketball when I'm in ninth grade. Well, that's too late for most kids. Um, it didn't used to be that way. So anyways, there's this it, it all plays on itself of the um, having people in your life willing to support you without choking the love of the game out of you. I think, which is Mm. a delicate balance that a lot of people have trouble finding the Todd Moranovich factor. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Thank you for bringing that up because that's something that I, I, a point I was going to make on one of my longer rambles earlier. I am a big critic of nepotism in sports. Um, and I have been, you know, it's, I find it hard to believe, um, that, all these NFL coaches need to have the same last name that is it, is it in their DNA Were they blessed with the football gene that only they know how to, you know, do these things. Um, It's chances are, that's not true. Um, But they get the chances. Yep. When it comes to sports and maybe it's, maybe it doesn't have to be the, 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 you know, every player, um, what am I trying to articulate here? I think that the kids who are raised with sports fathers have a big push because they understand what it takes to make it. They want to be like their fathers. And I don't know if there's probably a a database you can check, but of sons whose fathers also played the game. It seems like there's more of them. Like the Todd Marinovich story seemed unusual, but but now like the Gronkowski's. Yep. And that was a family of Marinoviches. I mean, their dad <laughs> owned, owned the gym, right. GNG fitness and the whole thing of we're going to work out in the basement and the, the, and probably thankfully for the younger Gronkowski's Gordy, the oldest son, um, becomes a professional baseball player. I think he reached triple a, but that was the example. Now they had one person in their family who showed you can do it. And then they just followed in line. Now, if Gordy decides he wants to play the tuba, maybe things are different, but right. Um, this was a little incubator of professional football players.
0: The ball family. And
1: yeah. It, it, so, and so there's a lot of that, that I think that there's a, but it's almost like you get an understanding where you're raised with it. Um, maybe is, it gives you quite the the foundation. Um Is a lot of that, the, the
0: kind of the hands-on specialized training that you're getting from a, an expert that is now, have been has been more commodified that, that it's probably is-
1: more sports psychology because you know they always used to say and you know i in when i studied sports management in college we had to take a lot of you know kinesiology and we had to do a lot of it wasn't just you know ma- the management part of it we had to do a lot of exercise science things uh i haven't kept up on it and i don't i'm not certified in anything but um you know the belief was is that if you Worked out too hard, or you know, that you don't get the gains of working out or lifting weights until you've hit puberty. Everything up before that is a waste. You know, there's a lot, there's only so much you can do to a kid before puberty or even after. For a, there's only so much you can do physically or you know, with training. And yes, you love of the game playing in the backyard versus playing on a team with coaching and blowing whistles and doing drills. I think it's the sports psychology aspect of it. It's the do you want this? Uh, The Mm. somebody who has been through the business of it, who knows that this is the guy you need to work out with. I'm going to take you to this trainer. He knows what he's talking about, as opposed to Tim Graham trying to figure out what his son, when he was, you know, nine years old, well, what do we do for baseball? Well, we go out there and I was grazed with, you go out there and you have fun with it. Meanwhile, there's other (laughs) parents who are, we're going to go to the batting cage uh, five days a week. And we're going to work with this hitting instructor and we're going to pay him you know, uh, yeah. $1,000 a month and we're going to do these things or we're going to get this uh, jump shot coach, uh, you know, or the, we're going to do this other, you know, all, there's all kinds, so many things that you can do. And I think that the, the sports psychology aspect of it from guys who've been in the game before, either as coaches or players, they know that line of motivating the sports psychology of wanting to know when you want it versus when you're just having fun with it versus, Um, pushing too hard to make you not want to like it, you know, Deion Sanders kids. I mean, I, it'd be interesting to see someday uh, when they reflect on it, how much they loved it versus how much they just wanted to make their dad happy. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe they all do love it. Uh, And they also have the genes and they have the means and they have the money and the training facilities. I mean, the balls, the ball family. Um, I mean, at some point, you know, it it becomes a, a shock if they don't, get a paycheck to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, when you have everything going for you. It's family business. You know? Yeah, that's right.
2: Yep. The Curries, the the LeBron James and his kids, sure. man, like <laughs> access and to I'm those facilities.
1: I have a problem with it when it comes to the coaching front office type stuff. You know, ownership, mm-hmm. you know, where the owner's son becomes the general manager. Yeah. Okay. Uh you know, that type of stuff. But the athlete you know the merit is there. I mean, if you're I mean you know if LeBron, if the Lakers draft LeBron James's son, just to keep LeBron James around, that's okay. Maybe that's nepotism, but (laughs) the, you know, we're going to sit you out on the end of the bench. LeBron wants to play with you as it's his dream. Like the Ken Griffey senior, Ken Griffey junior. Okay. All right. That's one thing. But I think generally, you know, Steph Curry didn't make it in the NBA because Dell Curry, you know, played, but it got him probably the right mental attitude to say, all right, I'm not a high draft pick coming out of Davidson and everybody's writing me off. Well, I'm going to show them because my dad helped wire me. And then the, the, meritocracy, yep. the meritocracy kicks in. I mean, he's not hes not one of the greatest players of all time because of Del Curry. Uh, but without Del Curry, um, maybe he gives it up at some yep. point. Maybe he just decides, I don't want to do this anymore because he didn't have that, that force in his life that told him, hey, stay with it. I feel
0: like it's a big scion boom that's happening right now on top of that. Because like in the 90s and and early 2000s, I don't remember there being a ton of of players and athletes coming up whose fathers were also pros within the sport. But now it feels like there's like three or four on every team. They're everywhere. Yeah,
1: that's where I was saying if there's a database out there. So I remember – all right, so big big football card guy I was. Uh, And there was a series of cards – Sometimes you can remember, thank, thankfully, they changed the design every year. And I can actually mark my life by what card came out, you know, what the card looked like in 1985 or whatever. I want to say it was 1982. Tops came out with a series of football brothers. And it was probably five cards, I think. And it was like, wow, I didn't know those guys were brothers, you know, two <laughs> offensive linemen. Now they're all over the place. Yeah, uh, And then I think that the base tops baseball in the seventies had a fathers and sons and it was maybe five cards. Wow. Uh, but Yeah. Now it's, it's, you're right, Chris, every team's got multiple and they're stars. They're not just, you know, like, Oh, look at this little uh, blip, you know, or isn't this a cool little story? It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah.
0: You know, the biggest player, the biggest players in almost all the sports are, are yeah. scions. Sterling, I've got, so I've got one, one last question uh, for us tonight. Do you have any, any questions for Tim Graham before I, I, I. Sterling's
1: thinking if we had the problem with Tim is he talks too much.
2: No, nah, man, listen, I don't, I don't, we don't get to hear enough of you, Tim. So you're <laughs> hey, take the floor, buddy. Take the floor. Oh, I
1: don't know. No, I, I'm here to answer any questions. I don't I don't Getting ready to go to the combine in a couple of days. Don't know what I'm going to. Okay.
2: Tomorrow. Let's talk about that. I got a question for you, Tim. Um, It is, it is said and believed that the combine is when the free agency deals go down. What kind of, uh, interactions do you have with agents, coaches, or things that you hear? Um, maybe you, you can't share or, or things that, uh, the, the casual fan
1: be like, wow, I didn't know that happened. Do you have anything like that? No, because everything is so covered about everything in sports. The coverage is covered. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody did a story. I can't remember who it was. It might even been the athletic, but uh, a few years. So there is a place when I go to the combine, here's, I guess, a story. A lot of people, I think by now have come to realize we don't really get to watch the workouts. That's always been true. That was the that was the thing that used to surprise people. Oh, you're going to the combine. Who are you looking forward to seeing? Well, we're not allowed in there. And then once the NFL network started broadcasting, they loosened it up a little bit and then you're allowed to see the quarterbacks and you're allowed to see this and so they've loosened it up. Um, but for the last three or four combines, I have not gone to the combine. And it's because of all of the networking that happens. Sterling, oh. to your point, I don't step foot in that building. Um, I There were two years I didn't get my credential because I didn't need to go in. So I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time. because it's a, it's a big complex. It's a big convention center there right. in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. And where I want to be, and I'll get to it where I want to post up, I'd have to walk probably 20 minutes to a half hour there and back, you know, so an hour round trip out of my day just to get this credential to places I'm not going to go. So my credential sits there, but they probably think Tim Graham didn't show up at the the combine uh, because he didn't pick up his credential. Um, There is, uh, there's a bank of hotels. Well, Indianapolis is is great in this regard, although the weather's supposed to be uh, really good next week. But Usually it's cold at the combine and awful, but they have a system of walkways where you can get around the city without ever stepping outside in many cases. In a majority of cases of wherever you're going, you don't need to, with the exception of walking down to, you know, maybe walk a few doors to get to a specific restaurant or something like that. Everything is tied together. The hotels, smart city planning center, what? yeah, the stadium, um, all that stuff. Mm. And at the end of one of these walkways at the JW Marriott, which is where the team stay, is a Starbucks. And years ago, I learned that you just need to go to the Starbucks because everybody has to walk past there from the stadium. Wherever you're going, if you're going back to your hotel room, if you have a meeting uh, or if you just want a coffee, you have to walk past this Starbucks. And so they have these areas and what they the the hotel did because they kind of got tired of us doing this. A few of us learned this trick and then more and then more. And somebody did a story about the Starbucks. That's where I was getting at with the coverage gets covered. Somebody <laughs> did a story about the Starbucks. And so now everybody knows about the Starbucks. And so they reconfigured it. Um, so now it, you can't have as many seats and they got rid of the electricity. There's only like four outlets in the entire area uh, of this wow. lobby Starbucks because everybody was setting up with their laptops. So if you, uh, you got to have a powerful battery, or if you don't, you got to, you got to beat it. You got to. So they didn't want you to get too comfortable at the you're Starbucks. With the, with the power electric. strip,
0: you are going to be a Unless rock star.
1: You're there. Right. Yes. Uh, you're, you're, that would be true. Um, and, and extension cords, you know, like that, they're real.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, for, you know, slinging it out. um. But that's what I do. So I stay at that Starbucks now, Sterling. Unfortunately, I don't have any juicy stories because everybody knows that reporters are are all over the place. And so, it's funny when you do see somebody that you know and you get along with, you have to pretend like you don't see each other because uh, you'll give a little. You know, you give the chin you know, or you'll, you know, whatever. And that's like, Hey man, how you doing? How's your family? That's everything is tied up with that chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I see you and that's the agent. And maybe it'd be like I'll text or something like that, but it's like, I'm here, you're here. I see you, you see me, uh, but move along. We don't need to be seen talking together
2: Uh Uh, because I don't
1: want, I don't want for both reasons. They don't want people to know that they talk to me and I don't want people to know who's my source is. Ah, so that's okay. one of the uh yeah so we pretend there's a lot of pretending like you don't see somebody at the combine.
2: So you say a lot of the deals that that take place before free agency happen through text message between uh well you know, no the no well, and the reporters. So you know,
1: the age, oh, with reporters and so yeah, but with now they're there talking to the GMs, they're at St. Elmo's, the steakhouse, or you know, um uh you know, all these different places, the legendary uh restaurants uh, there. Um yeah. They, I mean, they have and they have hotel rooms. I mean, they can go off somewhere and talk wherever they want. But it used to be back when I started covering the NFL in 2007, you could walk around the corner and see a general manager talking to a Drew Rosenhaus or a Ben Dogra or, a, uh, you know, Jimmy Sexton. And you knew who they were talking about. You know, that's so and so and their client. Now they're really careful not to do that mm, anymore. OK, and I think. And so they yeah, they don't want to. Uh, with the Stoke exception of guys like drew rosenhouse who do want to be seen and they show up with drew uh, a t-shirt that says drew rosenhouse on it um <laughs> so though, yeah so there are some who want to be seen but yeah most everybody is you
2: know so what's cool. your so being at the combine I mean, it's a big freaking deal like what what What's your focus? What's your mindset? Are you, you know, like, do you have any idea? I mean, we know the bills need a wide receiver, right? That's just, it's, it's, it's clear as day. Like what, what's your, what's your, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time, man. What's your like stick when you go to the common, what are you trying to get out of it?
1: Uh, I want to network. I want to talk to the agents. I want to talk to uh, GM's assistant coaches uh, sometimes you get guys, you know, PR staffs aren't necessarily there. Uh, and it's not like we're doing anything unethical. It's understood that everybody's kind of stand down. We're a little more casual. You might end up having a beer with an assistant coach or, or a, an agent or a head coach. Um, you know, I, I, I've I've met with a lot of different people that you just, you know, look, you're, you're, you're ordering a beer at the hotel bar and you look two stools down and there's the quarterback coach or whatever. Mm. And it's like, Hey, and we can finally talk because, you know, we don't have to go through a PR person or we don't have to uh, worry about who's eavesdropping, you know, and that, that's where you get to know people, you know, I'm not pumping them for information. Yeah. Some, some guys do. I generally don't do that. I, I want to, them to get to know me as a person uh, mm-hmm. and, vice, and vice versa. Um, and I go there with some story ideas that I have features usually uh, because everybody is there uh, mm-hmm. and every, and most everybody's accessible. So I have a couple of stories and I have a short list of certain coaches or general managers that I want to get a comment from on a league wide story uh, on an issue uh, type thing. But Joe Biscalia from the athletic, he does more of the, you know, I've never done a mock draft in my life and I'm proud of it. Uh, unless they <laughs> force me to do it, uh, maybe a boss at some point is going to force me to do one. Uh, and I'll br- I have to break my streak, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not the draft net guy, but the combine is hugely important to me because of the networking and, okay. and the people that you meet. Uh, so um, that's what I'm there for. All
2: right. If you need any, any, any information on prospects and stuff like that, you could just reach out to your boy here. Okay. Yeah, Sterling <laughs> okay. Sterling's a film junkie. He, he knows the ins and
1: outs on, on everybody. All right. That's all I'll do. So to so Tim, I got, I got to know your opinion. I don't now. watch a lot of college football. That's also a blind spot of mine And I'm, I'm readily able, like there are a lot of people out there that will pretend like, I, I can't admit that I don't know something about this thing I cover. So they fake it. Um, mm. I I will never, I, there's things I, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to be able to evaluate your college football player that you want me to evaluate. I'm <laughs> not going to be able to evaluate your interior offensive lineman that you want me to evaluate at the NFL level, even though I watch the game. I don't know what I'm looking at in there. Uh, I'm not going (laughs) to be able to tell you necessarily who's to blame for giving up that sack, you know, that type of shit. You know, I don't, I, that's that's where Sterling comes in. He's fundamentals all day. That's (laughs) where I reach out to people and say, all right, what do we, what what am I supposed to think about this? And then they'll say, you know, people I trust and they'll say, "Sure, this guy sucks. Or, you know, it's not (laughs) this guy's fault. He's, he's doing what he can because the, the guy next to him sucks, you know? Tim, so
0: my my final question is, we, I mean, we've, this is kind of like what we started talking and, and going back and forth with. I, I, I find myself triggered and defending you on Twitter quite a bit because the the, the, the nonsense out there just drives me nuts. <laughs> so I, I want to know your general thoughts on this shoot the messenger culture that that's run rampant in sports journalism, where it's it's the reporter's fault for telling me incon- inconvenient truths about my favorite team. Mm. Well,
1: and I think maybe we're more sensitive to it in Western New York than other places, maybe. But I don't know if that's true either. Um, you know, I, I I talk about it on my podcast a, a lot because I get into journalism discussions. Um, you know, people like Jerry Sullivan or Bucky Gleason, uh, who. Allentown says she's constantly defending you, too. <laughs> well, thank you, Town. Uh, i see i see her on there she's fighting the good fight yeah <laughs> uh I, I i end up liking a lot of her tweets um the the negativity because there was so much negative stuff to cover i mean just because you know the 17 years of no playoffs and now whatever's happening with the sabers about to be a 13th straight season Oof. um how much lipstick you know, on that page? yeah what it, Everybody gets sick of each other. You know, mm-hmm. the writers get sick of covering it. The readers get sick of reading it. Uh, and it's difficult to change up. It's difficult to come up with different topics to discuss. And you know what happens too? sometimes you'll force it. You know, uh, I covered a lot of, I covered the Owen. They're the one in 15 dolphins. That was my first year on the NFL beat was covering that dolphins team for the Palm beach post. And and JJ Redick I think just had an issue with this recently in fact today last couple of days in which yep. he he does a lot of analysis but he gets uh he gets into uh an FU match with a coach or uh, you know he starts starts to talk some shit and then people start paying attention yeah uh, yeah people don't want to read the positive story um they people why are you so negative why are you so negative well because when i spent 5 days writing this feature about what makes connor mcgovern tick uh nobody read it you know oh, yeah. here's a great example so uh i i did this when i was at espn uh people were on me for being negative uh let's say it's 2010 somewhere in that realm um so the dolphins i think you know patriots dynasty um dolphins jets and bills are probably not doing well um And so I decided I needed to write a story that made people feel good. And so I got all of the best, the guys who were doing their community service, maybe it was even their Walter Payton Man of the Year Award candidate type thing. And I did a little vignette on each of the four teams in the AFC East. Nobody read it. Uh, You know, I could write a story about, uh, you know, who's, you know, is Chad Henney ever going to be better than Mark Sanchez? And it would get a thousand comments. I recall hmm. one point after the story had been posted for probably two weeks, the uh, the charity-based story got six comments. And so nobody cares. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's a vicious cycle. So yes, we are well, maybe we are negative, but it's what people seem to want to read. Yeah, but it like
0: it just seems to be like a very low IQ mob that that's just seeping into everything. Like people are triggered by headlines. What, what do you think the headlines for other than to trigger your curiosity <laughs> to make you click the article and read about it. And like, we're sitting here on a base level arguing about well, the, the context of the, of the, your, your
1: headline doesn't encapsulate your entire thought process of the article. Right. The Stefan Diggs uh, the Stefan Diggs interview uh, yeah. in which oh, he yeah. said it's, it wasn't about me or this isn't about me. A quote that, interestingly enough, uh, didn't make it into many stories about that news conference. That sentence was extracted uh, and not the only sentence extracted uh, for some reason. I think because people read it and thought, oh, geez, people are going to be upset if they see Stefan Diggs say this. So I'm going to save him from himself because, you know, he's a he's a sympathetic character to some. But I thought, well, that's what he said. He was saying it's not his fault. And so I put it it was in the in the in the headline and um it got somebody else aggregate it, turned it into something worse than it was, made it, it mashed it together with another quote to make it seem like I had invented a quote uh, which that's another aggregation's another thing that uh, drives me crazy. Hmm. Um, well, there becomes an inception
0: level with this because. Now they're getting triggered in outrage because the headline's misleading. But then what, what is a smart person going to do the next time? I'm going to now intentionally make a misleading headline because you're going to be <laughs> triggered even more and spread it even more. And right. like, I don't understand how we're we're 12 years into social media and these people are
1: acting like they just showed up off the bus. You see these and there's these aggregator accounts, Dove Kleinman. Uh, that one comes to mind right away. There's a bunch that I've muted where people just aggregate something and put, they just put their, their, their spin on it as though they broke the news. Not, they're not saying that they did, but how about just retweeting the person who said it? Yeah. Like, that's my thing. I don't need to comment. If I find something interesting, I'm just going to retweet it. Uh, unless I can make a joke. Uh, then I'll he put se- he seems free.
2: to do that quite a, quite a bit, actually.
1: Yeah. Just take something that's stated in the news and make a headline about it that gets people to click and and subscribe to your, um, or sign up for So I don't know. Mm. He's got hundreds of the, hundreds of thousands of, of people. So, but yeah, that's what aggregators will do. They'll piss you off, get you to click. And that's what, that is the true clickbait. You know, when people yeah. talk about, Oh, this Stefan Diggs article was clickbait. Uh, no, it's the ag, the, the people who take it, twist it, and then get you to, Comment on their version of it. That's the clickbait. Yeah, um, mine's just know. to get you to think about it and then actually read the article yeah, to understand like to the context it. of oh, this There's An actual link right there.
2: <laughs> I remember your comments about thirteen seconds. Oh, people had a oh <laughs> man. I don't
0: remember what I said. What did I say? They're they're more angry at you for what you yeah. said than for him not realizing they had three time. They had more timeouts than plays <laughs> to run. <laughs> right, like like. <laughs> So uh, Tim, before we before we wrap up here, Good you got time. any any big stories in the hopper? Or anything? Uh, anything you're currently working on? Obviously heading into the the, the 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 combine here. But what's your what's your favorite angle you're chasing?
1: I have a couple. Um, I'm I'm in a little bit of a fishing expedition phase right now. I got a couple of things that I'm working on that I don't know how they're going to turn out until I talk to some people. And the combine is, a, is where you talk to so many of them. So hmm. um, probably a, I'm dodging it a little bit, but I'd hate to say something I'm working on and then have it not turn out to be as good as I thought. And and maybe I abandon it okay. or maybe there's something that I don't know. But that's that happens at the combine, too. That's where you learn things. You come up with ideas, hmm. you're spitballing over coffees or beers or burgers or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a bunch of people talking ball, and you come up with a with a good idea. Well, you gave me nothing tangible
0: there, so I'm going to put you on the spot a different way. As a fan, <laughs> what is your fan opinion of Sean McDermott?
1: All right. Well, I'm not. A, I'm as not a fan. Coach. I'm not a fan, and I always you're not a fan of me- football. Is of, of football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah.
0: Okay. as a sports fan. I thought and- you meant as a bill. All
1: right, as a yeah. Bills fan. I can go either way on I understand people who don't people who are tired of him. I, I understand it. Um, people who think he should be the coach for the next 20 years. I understand that too. I think he's a really good coach. I think that it would be silly to move on from him with the assumption it's going to get better. If you want to, if the bills were to move on from him, I don't know what I'd write. Maybe I'd have a visceral reaction and I'd write a column. Um, but I think most of mostly I'd say, uh, let's wait and see. Uh, but there are so many examples of hot shot coaches, the guy everybody would want to come in who ended up just sucking, uh, you know, I, I just wrote about it. Um, in a story recently remember people fighting over doug marone not once but multiple times um chip kelly was a can't miss adam Gase got two head coaching jobs oh, wow! Do, yeah. do, you, do, you, um, do you
0: think doug marone doesn't get to the divisional round regularly with josh allen uh he got there with blake bortles going through the bills and sean mcdermott
1: yeah but he couldn't get there with kyle orton Uh, I don't know. Probably a lot of guys get to the, well, I don't know. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. (laughs) What, what,
0: what's your opinion of basing your decisions in the present off of fear of repeating the past? Do you think that's a good way to make, make bold decisions? Okay, so
2: see, he's trying to he's trying to pin you down, man. I'm
0: referring to the drought fatigue, folks, that that everything is is framed based Uh, on the drought. Oh, okay. I thought that we we could. Do you want the drought
1: to come back? I see what you're saying. Do
0: anything. The drought's going to come back. Like everything's tied to their trauma
1: of the drought. Well. not necessarily. That's not where I. That's not where I'm at with it. With my reasoning of it, my reasoning of it is like with you know what I was just saying. Those examples of who you're going to replace him with. Nobody is surefire. Nobody mm-hmm. is surefire, um, and I think that it backfires more than it, yes. There's the example of John Gruden taking Tony John, D- Tony Dungy's team across the finish line. Um, but who's out there to do it? Uh, I don't know. And I guess you can say, well, you don't know until you try. Um, I guess the natural follow-up, but it could blow blow up. And again, that's the fear of it, but I'm not basing my fear on missing the playoffs for a long year, a lot of time I'm basing it on all those great coaches that people loved cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Everybody just, you know, these, these sexy next level coaches that, I mean, hell Three months ago, weren't we talking about, you know, Mike McDaniel? Now everybody's making fun of Mike McDaniel. Um, you know, there's, it just, I don't, I just don't, it's not that simple. And I, and I know I'm, 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 I'm muddling through an, an answer no, here, no, but no, I, it's I, it's I don't think position. it's, I understand so it. So that's why I, I started off with, if Sean McDermott were to get fired, um, I think we'd be, we'd have to wait a few years to find out if it worked. And the answer, I mean, and what are the odds that the answer is going to be better? I don't know. And that is so, so, and again, to get to your point, does that mean you don't try? Not necessarily. Um, but I just like to know who's out there, like who, yeah. who the, who the coach would be. Yeah. In, in your opinion, what do you think
0: is the missing piece at this point in time that they're, they're not getting past. If you're, if you're not sold on the fact that coaching, and I'm not saying that that's what it has to be or anything. I just, I'm curious if that's not what it is for you, what do you kind of, what's the hunch
1: you have that might be the, the missing part? I think I don't want it to, I mean, I don't want it to be too flippant, but it's going to be flippant. I think it is just shit luck. Mm. Um, Sean McDermott has shown he can beat the Kansas city chiefs. Um. Patrick Mahomes has had problems against the Bills, has. Not always, just not when it mattered. I don't think, no, 13 seconds is its own choke job. I get it. There's not a lot you can say. Right. I don't think that it necessarily begets the next choke job uh, because I don't know that they've choked um, since then. I don't consider the end of the 2022 season a choke job. I voted for Sean McDermott for coach of the year for 2022. What that team dealt with, I thought was off the charts, uh, absurd. And anybody who wants to say, well, you couldn't get past Joe Burrow at home is not taking the context of they practically had to, you know, they practically had a guy die at their feet three weeks earlier. And I I think that there is – they. The anecdote that I bring up to try to encapsulate that time was uh, going into that Patriots game in which I thought the NFL should have told the Bills, you don't you're not playing this week. Um, And I I wrote a column about it, Uh, but that Thursday. So it was a Monday night game that DeMar Hamlin collapsed Mm -hmm. by Wednesday when the NFL is released. It says our games are all going on this week as scheduled uh, or maybe it was Tuesday. Even I think it was Tuesday um no, it was Wednesday afternoon whenever it was. the bills didn't know if he was going to live or die when the NFL made that announcement. The bills had to practice. I think they did a walkthrough uh they then spoke for the first time that Thursday and it was a controlled si- uh, session in which Sean McDermott and, and Josh Allen spoke together uh in the media room uh, at the stadium. And these guys, were bawling at times during this news conference. This is after they realized that he's going to live. Mm. They had to play. They had been through it. Now they beat the Patriots in that finale. They get the dolphins at home. And if they're not playing Skylar Thompson, they probably lose that game. Yep. Uh the dolphins were the worst team in the tournament in 2022. And, and with Skylar Thompson, they barely beat them. And then going into that Bengals game, they just didn't have it. So, anyway, yeah, I don't blame him for that one. I think that's the outlier. Uh, and I, again, I, I think that we'll look back on that season. Maybe, maybe it takes a while, but 10 years from now, we're looking back on 2022 as one of the greatest seasons in Bills history because of everything that they had to get through. Uh, now it ended in the divisional round. Okay. Well now you have Patrick Mahomes who is now making people wonder if it's time to move on from Sean McDermott. Chris, I know that you're ready to. I know that uh Allen Town's ready to. I was ready to, Sterling. I don't know, are oh, you man, ready to? I...
0: The second he choked away that 19-3 lead in Houston, I was ready.
2: Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, that's, I don't know.
0: That that was
1: rash. Uh, <laughs> what what do you think, Sterling? You ready?
2: I don't know, man. I I, I just think that defense needs to show up when it matters most. Mm -hmm. That's the thing for me. That's the thing for me. So
1: I agree. And then they just don't learn from their mistakes. (laughs) Right. Well, I think again, I think now you have Kyle Shanahan who three weeks ago was one of the greatest coaches. uh, It may be, you know, breaking right. And now everybody is wondering if it's time for him to go Yeah, because he can't get past Patrick Mahomes and nobody Uh, can. (laughs) Right. It's, I get it. Um, there, there's uh, not being able to beat the best quarterback. Perhaps now, th- and this is the thing. This is where the shit luck comes into play. The debate right now, and of course, you have some recency bias. But I think it's a legitimate conversation. This isn't does Matthew Stafford belong in the Hall of Fame because he won a Super Bowl. Uh, this is who's the better quarterback of all time: Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes unfortunately one right after the other bills fans um shit luck uh and i i don't know i don't know that there's a is there a mahomes stopper out there is there a defensive coordinator that you could say this guy just owns mahomes let's bring him in and make him our head coach the thing is maybe that's the way you go about it but there's no i mean i guess uh, sean payton Sean Payton made uh Patrick Mahomes look awful to uh, to twice in a three week span, right? Denver. Uh Denver beat they beat him twice or No, they beat they they beat they, him, they, they, they split beat him this sp- year. Yeah, they split, but it was There was close. Yeah, uh it mm-hmm. was like, well, maybe Sean Payton's got got the answer. So,
0: um, uh, Allen Towns got a I don't want Sean Payton. Allen Town's got a question here, but but I want to put a button on kind of what you were just saying. My my greatest fear is really my belief in the universe and certain things are just the way they are in the universe. And I really feel like there's enough body of evidence now to make the case that in this universe, Sean McDermott is Andy Reed's Patsy at every turn. He's gotten the best of them, taken advantage of them, duped him into a quarterback he never did his homework and research on, scooped him for Trent McDuffie, got him on the coaching field at every single turn. It's just this universe, Andy Reid owns Sean McDermott. So if that's the case, no matter how great of a coach he is, he's not going to beat Andy Reid. That's the math for me.
1: Well, I don't know what the answer is to that. Okay. Allentown wants to know if there's... I, I, I was... I was I, <laughs> I, I'm bailing you out. I'll, I'll send it. you the joke. Remind me to DM you the joke I was about to make just then that would have been totally inappropriate. But I, oh, there aren't many jokes. We love inappropriate jokes. Well, I'd like to keep my job.
0: Ah. <laughs> I'll, I'll DM <laughs> it. Dude. Those was the, the best time. <laughs> so Allentown wants to know if there's more to the John Butler story, if it's because he didn't get the D.C. job, or he just grew apart.
1: No, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a long story about it. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's pride. Uh, I think he felt like he deserved the job, and it was a logjam of defensive coaches uh, who probably felt they deserved it. Eric Washington included. Um, last year, you had Al Holcomb who was joined to the staff. He probably thought that he deserved it. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's a combination of pride and knowing that he deserves it and not wanting to come back after being passed over and remain in the same role as the position coach. Was there really and, that
0: much interest in being a name-only defensive coordinator?
1: I am not convinced that that's going to be the case. Um, I think that Especially with the interest that Bobby Babich had from at least three other teams before the Bills decided to make the hire, uh, the Giants, the Packers, and the Dolphins. Uh, that if you're going to get him to stay, uh, you probably have to make a concession of you're going to you're going to call the plays. Let me let me walk that back because I don't know that to be true. me saying it that way, uh, sometimes people would might think that I know something that I'm not I haven't reported yet. I don't want that to be the case. But I usually, I think in historically in those situations, when you're in a bidding war or you're trying to convince somebody to stick around, why would Bobby Babbage stick around just, just because, or maybe he, I mean, there could be reasons we haven't spoken to Bobby Babbage. Maybe he doesn't want to move his family. Maybe he just loves it in Western New York and et cetera, cetera. But he he had
0: leverage there to to get, to get, but he could have
1: been potentially calling plays for old friend, Brian Dable in in the big Mm. Apple probably made with an unlimited budget. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the New York giants pay their coordinators very well same with the dolphins to to steal an assistant away from the bills and and get him to to they need a, a defensive play caller packers the same thing so um yeah i think that you know I, I would be surprised um i would be at least slightly surprised because there could be reasons for him to stay with just the title but i would think that bobby babbage would 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 insist on calling the plays to stick around but i've been wrong before and maybe i'm wrong here <laughs> sterling you get last question
2: anything man dude uh i don't have a question but uh
1: dude this has been awesome thank you oh, thank again you. Thank you. and uh look. my pleasure and i'll do it whenever you want I've, I've i've enjoyed it i like the topic aspect of it because yeah. um sometimes when people ask me to come on a podcast and it's a free-for-all which is fine but um, we had a topic, and I and I I might have to adopt this a little bit. I I I tried. Tr- I used to do that with my radio show, and I got away yeah. with it with my podcast. But having a topic is that's uh, pretty solid. I like that.
0: Uh, the, the the thinking is we're trying to build an initial audience and a base, and there's
1: and nothing. you right now have only one viewer, Allentown. <laughs>
0: Actually, we're we're up to ten or eleven on on one of the channels, uh, but the thinking is that anyone that's going to watch this isn't really going to see it fresh right now here live. So if we're talking about what's happening this week, or it's or it's dated content, it's going to quickly be old news and just lost in the shuffle. Whereas if we're having a, a topic to, or a conversation about a, a single topic that can be evergreen,
1: ideally we can we can it's a great grow, idea grow a little more base around it and and grow from there that's something that Jonah and I struggle with all the time, especially when you're talking about the Sabres, because there's always a game tonight or tomorrow. They play so many games and it's hard to have a a conversation about the Sabres and keep the context, um, pinpoint when, you know, you could talk about how terrible the goaltending is one night. And then UPL goes on a stretch. Like he has been, uh, speaking of God, not knowing what you're looking at. Um, This this coaching staff insisted that uh, Devin Levi was the better option and needed to start the season. And now here, UPL is uh, finally showing that he's maybe one of the best goaltenders in the league. I don't Uh, think
0: there's one thing with this season that went the way they thought it was going to go. What were they looking
1: at?
2: I don't know. I don't even watch hockey like that. So... (laughs) I'm still asking myself. I'm every just day, tired how of hearing I'm Sabres day, are going to be good, you know, in, in the off season, And you get to the season and they're just like, man. So I was like, okay, whatever. Well,
1: Allentown says she just subscribed to your podcast. Yeah. Tim Graham and Friends uh, with my co host, Jonah Bronstein. Nice. We'll have one tomorrow, I think. Awesome. Do You do it live? No, uh, I'm not. I don't have the balls to do that. Ah, uh, I got stumble through. Whatever, dude yeah <laughs> life's the way to go
0: <laughs> but tim thank you very much for joining us tonight uh good luck with the show tomorrow and uh have fun at the the combine and, and break some stories for us thanks
1: yeah i'll uh, have me on again when i get back i'll be uh, oh. we'll, I'll, I'll i'll be able to tell you more about what i learned there as opposed to because it's a, like i say, it's a fishing expedition but I'll, I'll let you know what i caught
0: next time <laughs> All right, uh, deal perfect we're gonna we're gonna have you as a regular tim thank you
1: my pleasure. All right. Have a good night.